Could we one day see a new energy source powering our homes here in Houston? And Mike Miles' new education system plan is tackling teacher salary in a controversial setup that has educators upset. Plus, how much are Houstonians driving and where do we rank nationally for miles driven? It's time to recap it all with Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and Houston writer Shiam Galyon. It's Friday, July 21st, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. All right, Friday tradition here. Evan Mintz, Shiam Galyon, welcome in. I can't wait to talk about the news with everyone, but first, I saw this story that there might be a Texas theme park heading our way, and I want to start with this. Shiam, if they came to you and said, hey, we need a Texas-themed ride for this park, what are you creating first? Oh, it definitely we need to have a roller coaster where one of the cars is an alligator, one of the cars is a spaceship, and then the other car is a pecan pie. And then you just, <laughs> <laughs> they just like loop around in circles. Okay, I like that. How about you, Evan? I like do one of those log flume rides like you see at Disney World where it's kind of slow and steady and you see a lot of cool stuff and then there's a big splash at the end but it would be modeling the Galveston immigration experience. Mm. You'd like start in old world Europe, you'd float across the ocean, you know, you'd lose your bags and then you'd like come into Galveston and be all bright and shiny and see all this cool stuff. And then we go down the log flume. I like that one. Mine would be this awesome roller coaster that would be a car and then it goes really fast and then it just slows down and you're just stuck in traffic. <laughs> And then it opens up and you go really fast and then you get stuck in traffic again. So it's just mimicking our beautiful traffic situation here. Oh my God. Well, Raheel's would go viral. I I like that one a lot. All right. So that was just a little fun way to get us going. So let's get into the news. Shiam, you start us off. What caught your eye? For me, by far the top story was how someone leaked that there are like really inhumane practices happening at the border, including... Um, like basically setting traps in the river and also a continuation of a practice that we know for years have happened at other points in the border, which is not giving migrants water. Um, And so basically we have a whistleblower stepping up to say, hey, this is not right. This is inhumane. We actually need to stop and think this is not right. Did you guys see the story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just astounding in a way that you see a lot of state representatives and senators and politicians pushing pushing back and saying, well, I support our troops and our troops are doing the right thing and they never do anything cruel. But the whistleblower here is the Department of Public Safety paramedic and trooper. He's being called out by one of their own. And I think that's something that I would hope would have a lot of our politicians paying attention. Being a whistleblower is really hard. And that is actually the thing that stuck out to me the most um, out of the story is just like how much it takes to stand up and say, this is happening and I'm not okay with it to kind of break ranks. Um, I feel like the later that you get on in your in life and in career, you start to ask yourself questions like, uh, what is the line for me? And I wonder if any of you guys have ever had those conversations with other people or if if it's ever come up in your lives in any way? Yeah, that's a really good question because I have experienced this in terms of, hey, should I say something, right? When it comes to media opportunities. So this is going totally different than what's happening at the border. But when you 
Talk about being a whistleblower and the potential of losing something in your life that means losing money, opportunity. It is a tough decision. It is something that I think about a lot. Like, hey, when I was in that position, why didn't I say something, right? If I would have been a whistleblower in a media job trying to point out the wrongs of the industry, it's not life or death, right? It is something that we want to fix, but it's not what's happening at the border. So yeah, I do think about it, but you know, the results of being a whistleblower in that situation versus what I would have done, they're totally different, right? Because that whistleblower is saving lives now, hopefully. Mine would have just maybe cleaned up a media industry, you know, thing that's happening with minorities. So I think about it, but it's harder to do, right? Then you think about in your mind, like, oh yeah, I would do it. No, there's a lot of consequences that come with it potentially. I'm so glad that you laid it out that way because actually speaking up is hard. So if there's anything that I want people who are reading this story or listening to this story to think about, it's that if there's someone in your life who's struggling with something, support them in making the right decision to speak out. There's a myth that heroes just act in the moment, but heroes actually think about what they would do in certain situations before the situations happen. And I think we need more of that in Texas um, because there's a lot of opportunity to make this state better for everyone. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. And one of the things that stands out about this, at least in the reporting, is that even as DPS seems to be taking the allegations seriously and really looking at it and trying to make sure that best practices respect the well-being of everyone involved is held to the highest standard, we're seeing politicians uh, speak out loudly and almost say they don't care. They don't think it's bad that we're doing stuff like this. They want to be the meanest, cruelest, harshest possible at the border. Uh, and there's this divide between the people who are acting on the ground and the people who are trying to leverage these moments for sake of politics. And at a certain point, you've just got to recognize that for some of these people, the cruelty is the point. You know, it would be interesting to see some of these politicians actually spend a week down at the border and see what actually is happening in terms of what these migrants look like when they are trying to cross or the help that they need, right? And then maybe they'll have some empathy. Maybe they will adjust their policy a little bit because it looks, you know, from the outside looking in, you're like, oh yeah, look, we're going to be cruel and we have to, you know, put our foot down and we have to make sure that this border policy is tight so Texas doesn't get hurt with it, right? You can do that all from Austin or wherever your home base is. But when you're actually down there and you see the faces and you see the condition these migrants are in, Maybe that will change it. I don't know. I think you see a little more humanity in some of these people than I do. I'm not optimistic. I think these are the sort of folks who look at, you know, the movie Fievel and think it's a horror movie. Hmm. Evan, how about you? What was your biggest story of the week? My biggest story of the week was a report out of the Houston startup Fervo. They've had a major breakthrough in large scale commercial geothermal. Now, for those who don't know, geothermal is the technology which uses the heat and pressure beneath the Earth's surface to create energy. And it is one of the most likely places we're going to find our energy resources going for low emission, low carbon power. And why this is so important, I think, to Houstonians is that we've seen growth in solar, growth in wind. But those aren't things that really have too much of an overlap with Houston's expertise, which is drilling holes in the ground and getting energy from the stuff you find down there. And with this big breakthrough, we're seeing that, yes, Houston's expertise has a future 
in uh, our low carbon economy. And it's just really exciting to see these major breakthroughs. Their uh, commercial system that they have set up uh, was able to produce about 3.5 megawatts. Now that's just about one turbine, but is a proof of concept. They already have a contract with Google to provide energy for some of their uh, servers out in Nevada. And we're really expecting to see this continue to scale up. So it feels like that if Houston is going to keep being the energy capital of the world, it's going to be through geothermal. It's going to be through other things like hydrogen, grid technology, stuff like that. I know that wind and solar get a lot of attention and there's a lot of wind and solar to be made in Texas. But the idea of where the CEOs are, where the headquarters are, it's going to be stuff like this. So with the geothermal breakthrough, are they just doing it on empty land, kind of like what wind is, right? Like when you go down heading towards Corpus Christi, you just see all the windmills that are out there. Is it on empty land or is it going to be more on residential land or in city land? Now, that's a really good question. So looking at some of the places where you have the like most fertile territory for geothermal, it's in specific areas where you have access to like super hot water below the soil. Uh, but with this new breakthrough, it don't really need to use that kind of water. It can just be any place uh, below the ground. Now, you know, some places are better than others. You know, this one happened to be in Nevada, uh, but I've seen a lot of schemes where people think that if we really start to uh, invest in the technology, find ways to lower the cost, that anyone can have a small geothermal thing in their own home. Mm. Now that could be, you know, just pie in the sky thinking. I've seen people, or I remember, uh, seeing people speculate that we'd all have wind turbines on top of our houses. But you see solar panels on people's houses all over the place. Maybe that's the sort of future we'll see with geothermal. Why wouldn't that work, right? Like solar panels, if you told me 10 years ago that every house would have it now, it seems like out in the suburbs, I'd be like, you're crazy because it's just not feasible. But it is now, right? Like technology mm -hmm. changes. There's always breakthroughs. And if this is just the first one, imagine what the 10th breakthrough is going to be like five years from now. Mm-hmm. Now, that's absolutely true. But at least for the time being, it seems like a lot of the real commercial scale geothermal requires something a little bit bigger. It requires the sort of drilling you get in fracking operations. There's that Houston expertise. And so you can create major geothermal energy hubs like you would any sort of other power plant and just distribute the energy out on the grid. I saw this story and I was super excited too. So I'm glad Evan is talking about it. Um, always makes me happy when there's climate-friendly solutions. And Evan, you're absolutely right. Yes, we have solar. Yes, we have wind. But Houston is an oil and gas city. And I am worried. I do think a lot about like how our economy will transition. Um, and this seems very promising and very exciting. Mm-hmm. All right, my biggest story of the week. There are a lot of changes happening at HISD under Mike Miles and the new education system. And one of the big things that have been discussed now is teacher compensation being based on test scores. The entry salary for a teacher will be about 72000 and teachers can work up to 104000 or dropped to 65,000, but only a few will ever hit that 104 mark. So they want teachers to be more in the upper 40% or bottom 40% in terms of salary. Now, union president Jackie Anderson with the Houston Federation of Teachers called this plan very demeaning because 
quote, children come to schools with different backgrounds, different experiences, different levels of understanding, different levels of motivation, and pay for performance doesn't take that into consideration. It takes away from the heart and soul of learning for children, and that's not fair. Now, there are other things to consider as well. Miles also went on record to say that some teachers matter more than others, and they are really pushing reading. And that is huge under the new education system. Mike Miles said that I can look at an elective teacher in third grade and say reading is more important to our students right now. And the value that teacher brings in is higher than the value a PE teacher brings. Nobody wants to say that, but I'm saying it and I'm saying it pretty clearly that what we do is based on the value that different positions bring. I know that's a lot. And I will start with my thoughts because I am for a performance model in almost every industry, but with teaching, it is hard to put that in the play. And we've seen it put in the play before because of what Jackie Anderson said. You don't know what's happening after hours, right? You can be the best teacher ever. And I've seen this within my own experiences at my elementary school that my daughter goes to. You can have a great teacher, but if the parents if the kid is not getting more attention at home, it is hard to keep up. So I'm torn on this one. Evan, I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, I think you hit it spot on that it's really hard to measure what it is that teachers are adding in the classroom because there's so much going around in the kid's home life, in their peers, in their family that really will impact the, their outcomes in student performance. Uh, and I also think that there's this dedicated focus forever on our worst schools, our underperforming schools, and asking the schools to fix those problems when really those are reflective of larger social issues. While at the same time, it feels like we're ignoring the potential for creating some really great schools that are free, open to the public, and could grant uh, education opportunities to students who otherwise would not have those chances. You know, what could we do with another Carnegie Vanguard? What could we do with another HSPVA? Who are the students who we could give an incredible leg up on their academic performance who otherwise are denied that simply because we don't have enough spots? I'd really like to see uh, a conversation around that rather than just the same thing over and over and over again and looking at these schools that seem like they're underperforming, but I really don't think it's always the fault of the schools. Now, you brought up the underperforming schools. So 28 Houston ISD schools are already shifting to this educator compensation model for next year. And the plan is to have every school um, shift to this by 2025-2026. So we will get some good data in terms of HISD with this model. So we'll see how this all works out. Shiam, your thoughts? Yeah, so it's interesting that you said in the quote that he said reading is more important than PE or like reading teachers will get paid more. They just value more. Yeah, like a reading teacher is more valuable for a third grader than a PE teacher is. Well, I don't think he was saying that randomly because uh, national test scores on reading are way behind. There's actually like a national reading crisis for for the younger grades. Um, and that's because the field of teaching kids how to read decided that they would not do phonics anymore. 
there was this like trend of like intuitive reading or something and a ton of kids fell behind. So there is a bit of a crisis. School districts across the country are talking about this. And so I'm wondering, maybe that's where some of the pressure is coming from. But I think PE is as important as reading. I agree with you, Raheel, that like, there's a lot going on and teachers should focus on like instilling a love of learning. Um, But I also was thinking about just there's this greater education crisis we're in. And I wonder if that's what Mike Miles was thinking about. I've linked the entire story from Houston Public Media, and they have the plans that are going to be put into place. And um, this document, which is confidential, but they got a hold of it, um, mentions that reading gap, right? Mentions the education gap that's currently happening in HISD and especially at these underperforming schools. So if you want to see the entire report, it is long, but it is very interesting. You can click on our show notes and you'll find it there. Okay, Shiam, let's get to your most overlooked story of the week. What do you got? Well, (laughs) I've never, I don't think I've mentioned this on air, but I'm a bit of a true crime person and Houston has a sticky note bandit. There is a person going around posting threatening sticky notes on uh, bank teller windows and walking away with a lot of money. Uh, It's not reported how much money they're walking away with. Did you guys hear about it? I saw mm. this come across my feed and the first question that came into my mind, and I'm not trying to make light of this situation because at the end of the day, this is a robbery and somebody could get hurt, right? But when you have a sticky note, right? Like you've got the back is sticky, you write your note on it and then you stick it. So when you think about how the robber's doing it, which side is he writing it on? Is he writing on the back so he can stick it? onto the teller's window or is he holding it up? Because I'm confused on like, where exactly is he using that sticky part? So that's a good question. They do make stickies that are sticky on both sides. (laughs) Um, The image that's circulating with this story is um, very theatrical. I think though, I wouldn't move your savings out of the bank yet. I don't know if it's like reached (laughs) such a crisis. I just think that, uh, the idea of like lending some sort of like title to various criminals uh, makes crime seem fun and exciting. And it's a much better change from the usual like depressing uh, uh, sort of crime that seems to ruin people's lives. You know, if money gets taken out of a bank and nobody gets hurt, that money's insured by FDIC or private insurance. Uh, so as long as everyone's set right and they catch the bad guy in the end, uh, I'm relatively satisfied. All right. The sticky note bandit did not think we'd be talking about that today, but Shiam, thank you for bringing it to the table. All right, Evan, how about you? I think the most overlooked story was a report by the Brookings Institute that looked at the uh, number of household miles traveled among all the major metros across the United States. And I was shocked and a little happy to see that Houston was not in the top 10. We were ranked 11th. Mm. Now, the uh, average Houston metro household, and that includes Sugarland, Woodlands, et cetera, traveled about 35,000 miles last year, you know, when you get in your car and you drive. And the national average was around 30,000. You had some that were really high. Riverside, California had 45,000. New York City, of course, was really low with 21,000. But what it shows is that even though we are a big, sprawling region, 
we have multiple centers. And this report found that some households, say in Sugarland and the Woodlands and Friendswood, traveled fewer than 25,000 miles per year. And these are the places where, if you don't really know Houston, you would imagine they're doing major commutes all the time. But in each one of these different cores, you have your homes, your jobs, your restaurants, your grocery stores, your entertainment. You don't really need to leave your neighborhood if you don't want to. And I think this should be a call out to Houston to see how we can facilitate more of these short neighborhood trips in easier ways instead of saying that you have to get on a freeway to get the things you need to live here. You know, even when I think about neighborhoods within Houston, everything you need is relatively close now, right? Uh, it's not like you have to travel 10, 12 miles to get to the grocery store. There seems like there's an HEB on every corner now or Whole Foods or Central Market. A lot of restaurants are within neighborhoods as well. So mm -hmm. even within city limits, I think it's getting like these smaller neighborhoods that have everything you need. Now, I can only talk about the suburban experience being out here in the Richmond Rosenberg area. And we moved <laughs> out here in 2014. There was nothing here. It was just farms. And that was one of the big appeals for me is like, I want more space. I want less traffic. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2023, and we've got a Target, H-E-B, a Hot Dotties. We've got coffee shops, torchies within a five-mile radius now. So, yes, like we are driving way less because before, Evan, we would have to either go to Sugarland or Katy to get these essential things, restaurants, grocery stores, um, entertainment, whatever you want. But now we don't have to. Now I'm within like a five to eight-mile bubble, and I'm good. I don't have to drive as much. Oh, yeah. If you look at, you know, P. Terry said they're coming to Houston, they're setting up shop out in Katy. Mm -hmm. Like anything coming uh, to Houston is going to the suburbs. The nonprofit Farm and City did a study of I-45 because there's about to be a huge multi-billion dollar construction on that. And they pointed out that in that middle section, say between 610 and Bellway 8, you've actually seen ridership go down. Mm. It's because as the suburbs have grown, rather than putting more people on freeways and having more people commute to downtown, you've actually had people being able to stay out there as their jobs relocate there, as new jobs head there, as restaurants and grocery stores head there. And so it's this kind of ironic sense that the bigger our suburbs, the less commuters we have. And Shiam, one thing I want to point out, how about remote work, right? Like people are driving less because, well, we don't have to leave our homes. We are working from home. No, totally. Everything y'all are talking about totally reflects what I'm seeing. So yeah, I think that is the direction we're heading. All right, quickly, my overlook story of the week. And I really want to get Evan's thoughts on this one. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee's first campaign finance report had illegal contributions. And the big attention grabbing headline was that one donation was made from a dead woman. Of course, <laughs> uh, Sheila Jackson Lee is running for Houston mayor. Her campaign said they plan on returning the donations to make things right, but we're now in the thick of the race, so get ready for these big stories and big headlines popping up. I just want to point out that Senator Whitmire had $9.9 million in his fund, but Houston Landing laid out that, well, this is up for debate because he can use his old state Senate funding for this race until somebody files a lawsuit, so... You know, this is getting interesting. Gilbert Garcia has raised $2.9 and Lee Kaplan had raised $1.4 I just want to get your thoughts on this one, Evan. You know, I don't really like any of the candidates running, but when you mess up like this, and it seems like a lot of the problems that Sheila Jackson Lee had were just filling out forms wrong. The donation from the dead woman was supposed to be from her daughter. They pulled over funds that shouldn't have been pulled over, et cetera, et cetera. It reminds me of the story about how Van Halen 
wanted brown M&Ms to be taken out of a big thing of M&Ms before any of their shows. And it's not like they hated brown M&Ms. The fact was they needed this as a sign that whoever was setting up their concert for them had read all the rules, read the instruction manual, because mm-hmm. they had these lights and explosives and cool stuff. And if you set it up wrong, someone could get hurt. So this was kind of a stand-in symbol to show that you'd followed the instructions. If you get the small things right, you're getting the big things right. And with Sheila Jackson Lee, if they're getting the small things wrong on this campaign, it makes you worry that they're going to get the big things wrong. That's a really good way to recap that story. And let's stick with you, Evan. I want to get your moment of joy. What sparked some joy in you this week? Okay, my moment of joy, and this is admittedly a bit wonkish, but it's the fact that on Thursday, City Council's Public Safety and Homeland Security Committee is discussing a proposal from Council Member Abby Kamen to fund a firearm injury data dashboard. And we need more data and evidence on gun violence. And it brings me joy to see a policymaker focus not on the scary headlines, not on the tough talk, but on the objective information we need to craft effective policies that save lives. It treats gun violence like a public health challenge. It'll give us a detailed understanding of who, what, where, when, and why firearm-related injuries and deaths are happening. It'll take data from hospitals and medical records and police records to identify the hot spots and demographics most at risk so we can craft responses that focus on the specific problem we have. You know, if you look at crime, crime rates are reported on a city-by-city basis, but you can dig down and see, like, there's one part of the city where you have high crime, high violence, and another part of the city where you have low crime, low violence. And it's not just city by city. It is zip code by zip code, block by block, corner by corner. And so we need that deep dive into data to really show how we should be leveraging resources to save lives. You know, we did an episode recapping youth gun violence in Harris County. And one of the big takeaways from that episode for me was there's just not enough data. There's not Mm -hmm. enough data. And to see that there is going to be some data compiled now that is huge for future reports and future trends. And by the way, we will link that episode in our show notes. All right, Shiam, what you got for us? So my moment of joy this week is I'm a big fan of the City of Sugarland's Facebook page. They're just so wonderful. Um, They have been sharing pictures of Sugarland and there's a new park that I've never known existed in Sugarland. I'm going to go check out. It's like the Thomas L. Payne Park. It's an Oyster Creek Park um, in Old Sugarland, And I'm going to check that out this week. Nice. That's really cool. Sugarland does a really good job of posting their events, parks, what's happening around the city. And all their events are usually free to attend. So love seeing that. So congratulations to them. That's really cool. Okay, my moment of joy, and I really want people to listen to this interview after they're done listening to us, of course, on CityCast Houston. But Houston Matters, where Craig Cohen had a really good interview with Texas House Representatives Lacey Hull, who's a Republican, and Armando Wally, who's a Democrat, on what actually happens and the compromises that are being made and the bipartisan efforts that are me- being made in Austin that go beyond the headlines, right? And like the true work that's being done. So it was a really good interview. I think everyone needs to listen to it, especially with all of the you know, loaded headlines that are out there. This was just a good understanding of what actually happens between politicians. I've linked that interview and story in our show notes as well. Evan, Shiam, thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, y'all. Talk to you later. Stay cool out there. 
That was Evan Mintz and Shyam Galyong. You can find all of the stories in our show notes. Before we go, do you want to learn even more about Houston or find the perfect thing to do this weekend? Head to houston.citycast.fm and subscribe to our newsletter, Hey Houston. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kespa. Our technical director is Noah Snyderman. Our producer is Carleon Jones. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. And the host is me, Raheel Ramsnali. Our music is by the band All the Kimonos. We'll be back on Monday with a deeper look at the border crisis and how it's going to impact Houston. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. Raheel was like... Oh. I just want a good, quick answer, just something fun. Yeah. We're moving along. But no, we can, we can workshop yes. this. It's all good. <laughs>